Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. Has anyone here ever done anything foolish? I take by your laughter that uh, the elbows were going to the person next to you. How about doing something destructive or you said something you regretted? You had foot-in-the-mouth disease at certain points in your life. You treated someone in a hurtful way. Does it happen on a fairly regular basis? Like, how often? And here's the real question. Would you like it to stop? Yeah, me too. Would you like at least to cut down on doing the foolish things? We cut back on the ratio of foolish things to wise things. I think we all would. I think we all should. It's something that God, I think, is calling us to. And it's why we're going to be soaking in this book of Proverbs over the next two months. Proverbs is this utterly unique book in Scripture, as was just mentioned. And there's really no other book like it. It was intentionally designed for the purpose of this pursuing and of getting wisdom. And my hope is that through this series, that the book of Proverbs becomes a foundational part of our spiritual lives, of our spiritual diet, of how we're growing in fullness of life. And that it shapes informs us into a community that is more and more reflecting the life and heart of Jesus Christ himself. But first, we want to go back and I want to introduce you to this man named Solomon who was mentioned, who's credited with writing many of the Proverbs, not all of them, but many of the Proverbs that we have in the Bible, who's kind of the initiator of it. And so in 1 Kings 3, we hear about this. In the opening chapter of 1 Kings, David, the second king of Israel, is dying. He's getting old and he's getting ill. And he knows his reign, his life is coming to an end. And there's so much intrigue surrounding this, who's going to be the next king of Israel? And people jockeying for the throne and overthrows trying to be happening. Anyways, we can't go into all the details. It's a real mess. But in the course of time, through it, God had promised that Solomon, David's son, was going to be this third king, the next king over the nation of Israel. And it's exactly what happens. And now, chapter 3, God comes to Solomon in 1 Kings 3 comes to him in a dream, and God says to Solomon, you can now ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. Now, such an interesting test, isn't it? If God were to come to you and say, you know what, you get this one shot, you can ask for anything, and I'll just give it to you. What would you ask for? 1 Kings 3, 7, this is Solomon's prayer to God in response. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child, and do not know how to carry out my duties. Now, he was not chronologically a child. Solomon was an older man, but it was like this expression of vulnerability. I've been given this job, and I have no idea what to do. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. He asked for this discerning heart and God responds by saying, yes, I will give you wisdom. And God is pleased, it says in the next verse, so pleased with Solomon's request. And the reason is because Solomon, who could have asked for things for himself alone, instead asked for a gift that was going to be a benefit to God's family, to God's people that he was called to serve. He asks for wisdom so that he can serve well his people and God grants his request. What's the outcome of this? Well, in chapter 4, verse 20, here's a description of the state of God's people. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. That's a pleasant description, isn't it? 
being led into that kind of life. And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms to the river. That's to the river Euphrates. To the land of the Philistines. That's along uh, the coast of the Mediterranean. As far as the borders of Egypt. These countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subjects all of his life. And so from this external point of view, this external perspective... Solomon has achieved so much, military success, economic prosperity. He was like this genius in cultivating international trade. These verses right here, 1 Kings 4, 20 and 21, is the highest point Israel will ever achieve as a political entity. This is the golden era. Everything before led up to these words and afterwards, things go into decline. This is the moment that all of Israel would look back on and still does as a political entity and says, someday, just like that. From a human perspective, Solomon was the top. Look at verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. Do you know who they were? I don't either. I have no idea who they are. But King Solomon was wiser than them, which probably meant something to the people that read that first. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. Now we have about 351 of them, but he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Now the eyes of the whole region are on Israel. People are traveling. There's people that are trading with them and countries start to flow in and get from Israel what Solomon has. They finally have the opportunity to be a blessing to the world, Israel does, like God had called them to be through Abraham. Someday through your descendants, all nations, all families on earth will be blessed And it feels like this is the moment it's happening. This is the moment they can live into their calling. And the question is, will they live into their calling? Well, over and over and over in these words of 1 Kings, we see one one other thing. God keeps warning his people that his blessing is going to be on them while they keep fearing him and walking in that way. He keeps reminding them that wisdom is a path that you actually have to choose every single day. There's a proverb that talks about as you set your foot outside of your house, decide in advance the road you're going to walk because it will determine everything about your life. The way of the wise is the way that honors God and continually blesses people. It is what Solomon set his heart on at the beginning. He lost it later. It's how he desired to lead the people at first. And we get a sense of that in what we look into in Proverbs. So let's look there now into the book of Proverbs. The book of the collection of wisdom that for generations after generations, people have come to, to grow in a way that honors God and others. Proverbs 1.1, it's just right after the Psalms. Most likely, this didn't come up in the video, but as I studied in the last few weeks, the Proverbs were part of a curriculum, actually, that was designed to train a new generation of leadership in Israel. 1 Kings 4 ends up listing a whole bunch of officers that Solomon appoints to govern with him over the people of Israel. And they all have to get educated in wise ways to lead. They have to get trained in order to be wise. And most likely the book of Proverbs began as a kind of curriculum for the next generation to do it right. 
That's the background of the book. Proverbs 1.1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the, to the young. Let the wise listen and add their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And then verse 7 is really the theme of the whole book of Proverbs as we've seen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now let me say a word about wisdom because this is right at the core of what we're talking about over the next number of weeks. In the Old Testament, wisdom is primarily that ability to make the right decision in the moment. Wisdom is primarily, fundamentally about making right, God-honoring, life-producing decisions. In ancient times, wisdom was not about IQ or how smart you were. It wasn't primarily about how much information you could memorize. In our day, we kind of confuse sometimes information and wisdom, and we get overloaded with information, but we don't necessarily get more wise. You found that? With the more access to information, the equivalence in wisdom doesn't rise with it. But in the Old Testament times, wisdom was extremely practical. The ability to discern what the noble, constructive, God-honoring course of action would be in actual real-life situations and then have the courage to do it. So in one sense, and this is going to be our phrase over the next two months, wisdom is the ever-growing relationship between a breadth of knowledge and a depth of heart. It is the God-given ability to understand what to do when things aren't black and white, and then the courage to follow through. That's wisdom. And the people of the scriptures, they prized it and they revered it. Now, the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. And foolishness is also this prominent theme in Proverbs. It's the contrast of the book, the two voices, the, the voice of folly and the voice of wisdom. There's the way of the fool and the way of the wise, and there's these two paths that you can choose in life. Now, similarly, a fool is not necessarily a low IQ person. Their life isn't marked by a lack of information. You folly in the Old Testament is primarily a problem of the will. Folly is rebellion against God. Folly is moral depravity, spiritual blindness, and social irresponsibility. And so Proverbs is this urgently important book to us. You see, this is not a casual little collection of affirmations. This book was written to save people from folly and a destructive life for them and others. And so the stakes could not be higher in this little book. But at the same time, the writers do this in this extremely artful way. There's almost like a game-like quality, a fun quality to Proverbs because it's designed to teach people, particularly young people, how to begin to live life well how to pursue fullness of life in a way that really moves that way. And writing an effective proverb takes a brilliant mind because a good proverb has to be brief. It has to be pithy. It has to give some insight into true human nature. And then it has to be expressed in a few unforgettable words that just stick in your brain. Now, every culture produces a few minds that seem to have this deep insight into human nature and this extreme gift for wordsmithing. And at Solomon's day, that's where the Proverbs came from. They were deliberately written to be catchy and often quite visual. Look at Proverbs 26.11 with me. 
as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Can you get a picture? Can you, that, can you see that, right? Now that's a little memorable mental image, isn't it? Your kids ask, what did we teach on? Dogs and throw up and all those. You will remember it. But what, it's, what is it trying to communicate? It's speaking to us about our human nature that has the tendency to keep repeating the same foolish things again and again and again. In fact, the Apostle Peter even quotes this proverb in 2 Peter 2.22 to get the people thinking again about their decisions. Peter takes that proverb and he's like, yes, that's the problem in the church. We're like dogs going back to their vomit. We should stop doing that. Now, if we're going to benefit from Proverbs, it's crucial to understand the kind of teaching that Proverbs involves. I just want to give you three things. And it's been really great over the last number of weeks, uh, meeting so many of you that are brand new to Stony Plain Alliance, and a number of you just saying, I'm new to church, I'm new to understanding things about Jesus, I'm new to the Bible. And so I want to talk particularly for us who are just getting an introduction to the Bible. Like, how would you, if you wanted today, to take the Proverbs and start reading, which I hope you do, to remember a few practical things to really engage in the Proverbs of wisdom? So let me just give you a few things. How to prepare ourselves for Proverbs. First, it's important in the Old Testament we understand the kind of literature, the kind of genre that we're reading. If you don't, you get really frustrated with Proverbs. If you wanted to read like a parable or a great story, you're in for a disappointment. And some people do get disappointed with Proverbs. So I want to distinguish between three kinds of statements in Scripture. Because some statements fit under the category of what you'd call law. A law is a command that you always have to, have to observe. Secondly, you have the statements of promise, the things that are going to come true. That's a promise. And then we have proverbs, a law, a promise, and a proverb. And that proverb is that catchy observation about the way that things generally work. And they're designed to give insight and help into certain situations. And I'll give you a few statements from Scripture. Here we go. Deuteronomy 6, a core statement in all of the Scriptures. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That's a law, right? Any exceptions to that? I mean, you can choose to break the law, but then you get the consequences of it. That's a law. Love God with all your heart. No exceptions. Here's the other one. This is from Romans 8. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Height, depth, angels, demons, present or the future, nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God. Which category is that? It's a promise. Right? Are there any exceptions to that? No. Here's another one. Now, this is from the book of Proverbs, right? It gives you a little hint about what this one is, right? Lazy hands make for poverty. Proverbs 10.4. Which category does that fit into? It's a proverb. You guys are with it. This is good. Everyone at home probably got it right first thing. Are there any exceptions to it? Yeah, there are. Sometimes lazy people win the lottery. It happens. Or something else happens and they stumble into some money or they inherit something. On the other hand, there are people all over the world that work extremely hard and yet remain in poverty. Sometimes there are exceptions, but as a general principle at the consequences of laziness, it's calling us to a particular kind of work ethic, which we're going to be talking about in a few weeks. Wisdom for work. I'll give you a classic example of a proverb that's so often misunderstood. Proverbs 22.6 from the video, it said, start children off in the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. It's a bit of an issue when people treat this like a promise. If I can just do it perfect as a parent, 
I can absolutely guarantee the preferred outcome for my kid. And then the kid develops a will. <laughs> and they develop the ability to choose. It's not intended by the writer to be given as a guarantee. It doesn't mean that if your children go down these wrong, destructive, rebellious paths, that you're a horrible parent and failed at every turn. This is just wisdom for parents to keep about the things that matter. As a general rule, our children grow up to an extent the way that we shape them, and that's true, better or for worse. And so how are we setting about in the raising of our children, knowing there's no guarantee in this, but I sure would like to tilt the odds towards life as opposed to destruction. Another real important feature of Proverbs, they're often designed to force you to read them slowly, and so do that. Understand that Jonathan reads slow. As you become a student of this book, I would say don't skim it. Like, try to get through it in as big of portions as you can. It doesn't help much to skim Proverbs. I'll give you an example of this sort of thing. And let's read this one together. Proverbs 24, 27. Let's say it together. Put your outdoor work. You know, you guys can actually say it out loud. It's okay. Okay, here we go. Put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. Now, is that one super clear? Does that mean... If you don't mow your lawn, you have to sleep outside? Like, is that, is that what it's saying? Well, yeah, actually this. <laughs> well, in that culture, outdoor work, that's farming, was income producing. And house building was income draining. Any amens in the house today? That was spending on comfort, though. So the meaning of this is don't spend money you don't have. If we were going to write this proverb in our day, it might be get a job before you buy a Lexus or something like that. I didn't say it was a good proverb, it's just I don't have that kind of mind, but it's a proverb. Another aspect of proverbs that can confuse people is that when you look at various proverbs, sometimes they actually contradict each other. Ever noticed that for those that have read proverbs? Which means we need to read the proverbs with a discerning heart. And so the last thing is we're going to read with discernment. It means we need help. We need a discerner beside us, within us, in the Holy Spirit. Because let's say you're wondering how to respond to someone in your life that isn't making good decisions. How should you really help the person who's making some foolish choices? Should you say something to them or not? So with this in mind, you being a really good, faithful, biblical Christian, you go to Proverbs to find your answer, right? You turn to Proverbs 26.4 and it says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Well, that seems pretty clear. Until you read the next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. So which is it? Do I confront the foolish person or not? Well, the answer, it depends. But wisdom is the gift that gives you the insight to know which response fits the situation you're facing at the time. Because sometimes it's time to confront. We're next week talking about wisdom for conflict resolution but it's not always the time to say something. And the only way to know which is to be a person who fears the Lord and walks in the way of wisdom. So here's what's going on. Every proverb addresses one limited slice of reality and they're written to help us avoid folly and become wise. You know, people can often pursue folly in opposite extremes of either spectrum. So which Proverbs you need to focus on kind of depends on your situation, on your tendencies and the weaknesses that we know about ourselves. But here's the point. Benefiting from Proverbs requires 
discretion. It requires discernment. These are not magical sayings that produce an immediate result. The Proverbs really do require the discerning voice of the Holy Spirit and the discernment of community to know what to do. They're to be studied and meditated on and memorized and practiced with God's help in the context of community. And with that, they help set the trajectory for our lives towards freedom and peace and love. That's what it's for. And you see, we need the wisdom of Proverbs, I think, for a very practical reason. It's because we humans, me included, we kind of tend to be foolish. And that's not the whole truth about us, but it's an important part of the truth. We keep doing things that we know aren't good for us. Ask any hot-tempered person, hey, is your strategy of just letting fly without thinking, helping you pursue the kind of relational intimacy that you're looking for in life? How's that working for you? Ask any overcommitted person in our crazy society, hey, is your hurried, frenzied, exhausted, self-preoccupied lifestyle producing in you rivers of living water that Jesus promised would well up in your life? Is that your experience? And yet we stay angry and we stay overcommitted and preoccupied with ourselves. It's not the whole story about us, but we really do foolish things sometimes, don't we? And what's worse, we do them year after year after year after year and fail to learn from the pain. I'll tell you another proverb. This is one of the ones I really like. This is Proverbs 19.3. A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. It's God's fault that I'm in where I'm in. God, how could you deal me this hand? God, why don't you just do something? Well, the truth is the real cause of most of my pain is me. The person that Jesus is saving me from every day is mostly me and my ability to make decisions that are destructive. And not only will I not see that, I will actually turn around and blame God for the kind of life I'm leading. You know, sin is many things. It's rebellion against God. It's destructive. It's death-producing. It's also unbelievably foolish and short-sighted because it never, ever leads to fullness of life. You talk to anybody who gets deep enough into sin so that they get addicted to it and feel out of control and in bondage to it. And their life starts crashing down around them. It's no wonder that the Israelites just revered wisdom and begged God for it and devoted themselves to the study of it, which would help them and enable them to make wise decisions every day. And we can do that. You and I can do that. And we have the added benefit of the teachings of Jesus to clarify and the presence of the Holy Spirit to be with us. The Proverbs were written to help us resign from foolishness. In the same way you might quit and resign from a job and say, I'm done with that. Some of the language of Proverbs says that's what it has to be like. Are any of you, like me, over these next number of weeks, how about this? We're going to write our resignation letter to foolishness. We're done with it. We're done with emptiness. We're done with the selfishness. We're done by being driven by other kinds of desires. We want to be so full of God's Holy Spirit and so anointed in Christ that we literally resign from folly and start moving in the way of wisdom. I think that'd be pretty good. And these Proverbs, they cover all the categories of life. We're going to be talking about family and pride and work and self-control, faith, creation, care, justice, doing good to the poor, everything. And those are the things we're going to be looking at in the weeks ahead. So does this all feel like quite a bit? 
Does it feel like a lot? Here's some good news for you. James 1.5. Does anyone lack wisdom? Does anyone lack wisdom? Then you ask God and he will give generously to you without finding any fault. One of God's deepest desires for us as his followers and for this church is that we be known as people of wisdom. And so we can ask him and we're going to do that in just a minute. But wisdom isn't just something we receive. Wisdom is someone we pursue. To grow in wisdom really is to discover Jesus and practice his way. Because wisdom isn't just something Jesus has. Jesus is wisdom personified. In Matthew 12, 42, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders about who he really is. And he talks about being greater than this one and greater than this one. Then he says, and people came from all over the earth to come to, for wisdom to Solomon. But he says, now I stand among you and someone greater than Solomon is here to testify and show you the right way to live. Which means we can right now sit with Jesus and ask him to be our guide in becoming wise like him. Friends, as we walk this journey together, we're doing it with Jesus as our companion. We're doing it with the one who is wisdom, who is seeking to save us from destruction and give us fullness of life. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.